The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, one thing I want to talk to you about is mybookie.ag. If you're looking to make some preseason baseball wagers, if you're looking to wager on the AAF, yes, the AAF is on mybookie.ag. They have basketball. They have all the sports. They have the Grammys coming up in two weeks. Or no, the Oscars. My bad. The Oscars coming up in two weeks. Grammys just happened. If you miss Alicia Keys doing two pianos, too bad. Oscars in two weeks. They have prop bets for that. They have political prop bets. They have them all. And they have a special bet going on right now. This is what's great about my bookie is they do it all the time. They did it for the Super Bowl, for other events. With Luka Doncic basically wrapping up the the rookie of the year in the NBA already, they're paying people out already. It is the all-star break in the NBA, and they're paying them out. What they're doing is they are offering Zion Williamson for the 2020 NBA rookie of the year at 3-1 to one odds if you place your bet from... February 14th today through February 17th on mybookie.ag. You get Zion Williamson at 3-1 to one odds. And the kicker, if he does not win Rookie of the Year, they give you your money back. So it's it, it's a win-win. You either win 3-1 to one odds on Zion or you get your money back. Sure, it's at the end of the NBA season, but it happens in 2020. And if you're new to mybookie, you want to try this bet out or other awesome bets they have over there, use promo code BENCHED, B-E-N-C-H-E-D, for a first-time 50% deposit bonus. If it's your first time depositing at, at mybookie.ag, promo code BENCHED gets you 50% deposit bonus. Deposit 100 bucks, get a free 50 bucks. Deposit 500 a free 250 Deposit 1000 get a free 500 bucks. It's up to a $1,000 bonus. So go to mybookie.ag, make the Zion Williams challenge, or go do whatever you want over there, but knock it out before you go uh, by the 17th. Use promo code BENCHED. For a 50% deposit bonus. Now, welcome to Bench with Bubba, episode 145, Fantasy Relievers Preview with Greg Jewett of the Fantasy Alarm and Rotographs.
And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 145. Going to talk fantasy baseball relievers. I'm going to call them relievers, as we'll understand shortly that not all important fantasy pitchers are just closers coming out of the bullpen. But in order to do so, we will talk to a member of Fantasy Alarm, Rotographs, who's been on the show before. You can find him on Twitter, at GJewett9. Gray, how are we doing, man? I'm all right, Bubba. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for uh, joining me once again. It was, uh, it was awesome having you last time. I'm glad we could uh, do this again as you're one of the uh, reliever gurus on the fantasy world. So, so thanks for joining me. I'm not sure I agree, but I'll take it. <laughs> uh, before we get going in the reliever world, uh, why don't you let everybody know? I know you've been a busy guy with Fantasy Alarm and you got some other things going on. Why don't you let everybody know what you have going on? Um, yeah, Fantasy Alarm, the I'm Howard, I think, calls me his senior MLB writer, but um, my the other guy, Colby Conway, and I have been pumping out tons of player profiles. It kind of stinks because it's behind the paywall, but um, if you get our draft guide, those are all included, and at the price, you, most of the time, it's 50% off, so it's well worth it. We've already got 77 done. Um, I think 50-plus have been published, and we usually get one or two done a day into the editors, so... We'll have most of the top 100 encompassed, and we try to pick some players of interest in those positions to really deep dive on. It's one thing to do a player profile. It's another thing to get through charts and try and identify trends, new pitches, things of that nature. So that's kind of what we're doing there. I like it. It's a lot of good stuff you guys got going over there. Good people at Fantasy Alarm. So I really like to see everything working out well over there. Um, usually I start out my podcast with recent news and signings, but in the world of baseball these days, we don't have anything since the last <laughs> time I recorded. So really, I don't really feel like going over some minor league guys. Uh, we could always talk Hunter Pence and stuff, but I'd rather not. So I uh, made a little bit longer of a list than normal in this position because there's so many different ways to attack it. Before we go player to player, you were talking about some really interesting stuff. Before we started recording, I want to kind of get it out there for this. Um, there's strategies when it comes to approaching closers. Some guys say, you know, never get one until like rounds 11 or 12 or 9 or 10. They have their philosophies. How do you approach this closer slash relievers position these days? Um, with the evolution of fantasy really going towards the pitcher side, I think people are going to have to adjust some of their strategies and the old school thinking of, never pay for saves and you know you're going to live the live on the fob wire all season are really kind of going by the wayside um especially if you if you know, if you paid attention to the labor draft that just happened on Tuesday night um you know I was podcasting with Colby that night and I predicted between 5 to 10 close or excuse me I said between 7 to 10 closers would go between rounds 5 and 10 well I lowballed it It ended up being two in the fifth, two in the sixth, five in the seventh, two in the eighth, two in the ninth, and then two more in the tenth. So that's a grand total of 15. So uh, I was under, but you almost have to plan on it now. I mean, this was a 15-team draft, but if you when you get past round five, you kind of have to know, are you making a decision? Am I going to get a closer, or am I going to let them all pass by and, and shoot the darts at the end and bracket relievers? Um, a couple of you'll see a couple of analysts are kind of doing that. They're bracketing, so they'll draft Colome and Kelvin Herrera. So they think between one of the two, they're going to get them. Um, people are taking Barnes and Brazier from Boston, so it's kind of pick your poison. But um, it, it's going to be interesting. And, and the thing that we were talking about off air was um, a, a tweet from back in December, where uh, I forgot the person who sent it out, but it was from them. They they showed the averages of the winners in the NFBC and the main event 15 team 
the the average save total for the winners was 68. Um, in the online 12 team drafts, it was 85. Draft champion 63, and then auction drafts, it was down to 61. So you can see that if you can get one anchor and then you kind of spackle around, I think you can survive with uh, closers. But uh, it's also going to be how you feel. Some people want those two and the safety of it. How do you feel? Yeah, that that's the fun part. Is I had some discussions a couple months ago on Twitter, and it's really up in the air because the, the reason why I think I want to have at least one big guy, and your, your numbers just kind of support that cause. If you can get a guy that's going to go save 35 to 40 games, you can kind of piece together the rest of it for the most part. Um, at the same time, if you can lock down two guys, you can lock down the safes category. And, you know, in a 15-team league, getting you 14 or 15 points in one category is pretty clutch. And not all the time, but most of the time, those elite closers like that most of the time will have pretty good peripheral numbers. So you get a lot of extra oomph in your roto categories. Yeah, it can be nice. So I mean, it's, just, it's weird. Yeah, and, you yeah. know, what Edwin Diaz did last year is going to be kind of a unicorn thing. I mean, it's not going to happen yes. all the time. But, you know, you'll, you'll, you see it when you look at the ADP. Closers has the biggest recency bias, of, I would think, of any position in baseball. You know, every year you look at the top 10 guys drafted, it's based on the season before, not yep. based on what the season ahead is going to provide. And I think that's the biggest mistake that people make when they're targeting closers. And we're going to touch on that at the end because you had a great question about, you know, identifying the next hater and things like that. So I really tried to key on what he did in the second half in 2017 and identify some arms that'll give people clued in to who could be the breakout guys this year. Cause that's what's it. If you get an anchor and you hit one of those breakout guys, then your money. Um, but the cost of them, you know, I, I use the February data of NFBC so if you take Edwin Diaz at pick 54, you're passing on Lorenzo Cain and Jack Flaherty before him and Mike Clevenger and Jamison Tyon behind him. If you're taking Trinan, if you're taking Trinan at 65, you're passing on George Springer and Jonathan VR, and you're also passing on Daniel Murphy and Zach Greenkey. So, you know, I don't know if I want to do that at those points in the draft. I don't really want to be the first one to take a closer. And I'm definitely would rather have other names I said there than than the closer. Now, if you go to the third closer, it's Craig Kimbrell, 74. Again, Puig's going to pick before him. Carpenter and Jose Brios behind him. I'd rather have any of those three than Kimbrell. How about you? Yeah, and, that, and that's the biggest thing is I've always been kind of a weight on closer guys. Like two years ago, I was all about my articles, my my rankings. I, I, my sleeper guy was Alex Colome. He goes and blows up, does great. But then you mentioned the following year. He's getting drafted so high, I wanted nothing to do with him. That didn't work out. So that's the biggest problem is when you take these guys early is the replacement value or not replacement value, but the other draftable assets like you're mentioning around them. That's where it gets tricky because, I, yeah, I'd rather have Yasiel Puig who could have a 30-plus home run season in Cincinnati over you know a closer who, A, doesn't have a home yet. We know he's really, really good, but we don't even could get in a weird situation somewhere. And, B, it's just it's such a volatile position where you mentioned there's so many guys that come out of nowhere each year and still get you 30 plus saves. And Kimberl on a good year, sure he can get you 40 saves or whatever. But you mentioned Edwin Diaz is kind of a unicorn year because it is. We're not going to see that every day. And you mentioned guys that kind of come out of nowhere and change the ADP the following year. I mentioned Colomay two years ago. 
the top two guys going right now, like you said, is Edwin Diaz and Blake Trinan, two guys that probably weren't even drafted or were drafted really, really late. Edwin Diaz really, really late. Trinan probably wasn't even drafted uh, out he the was, gate because he wasn't an automatic closer just yet. So it's, it's crazy. Last year at this time, Trinan was going at pick 185. Oh, see, that's just that's that's the beauty of finding those ones, and that's what I want. We're going to talk about after we talk about the you know top ten or eleven relievers going off the boards in NFBC. There's a handful of guys and. You know, there's some popular names coming out right now that are like, oh, this will be this year's so-and-so. But we'll, we'll kind of try to decipher who you think as, as you've been doing your research on who to target later if you aren't playing the buy saves early game. Uh, I know some guys do it, and you mentioned in the labor draft, and just looking at ADPs alone, there's at least 10 guys going in the top 100. So there's people doing it on a regular basis. Um, and it works for some guys if you can make it work, but it's not a comfortable situation when I look at it. All right, let's get into some of these players. Let's talk about – we'll stop, start at the top, and we can go just time to talk profile a little bit and, and how you see things playing out this year. And if anything, are they worth the draft pick? And I'm pretty sure by what you're saying so far, a lot of these early guys, not so much. But um, Edwin Diaz coming off a monster year. Now he's got a new home in New York. He's going around pick 54, like you said, since February in the NFBCs. He's crazy good, but is he crazy priced? Uh, to me, yes. Again, like I was saying around there, you know, I'd rather take a chance on the innings with Jack with Flaherty. I would rather take a chance with Clevenger, um, even though Al Melchior kind of punctured a hole into the uh, Jamison Tyone helium. You know, I, I want one of those arms there as opposed to getting my, my closer that early. And, and it's nothing against Edwin Diaz because a couple of years back, you know, Howard Bender was sending me love messages every week when I told him to get Diaz when he was first getting called up. I was like, listen, sales bringing up Diaz. If you need saves, stash him now. And then, you know, that's when he had his breakout season when he got called up after being a failed starter. But, you know, and again, the saves were fantastic. He was 27 for 30 in one run saves last year. I mean, he thrived under the pressure. You know, he ramped up the slider usage and the and the strikeouts ensued. But, you know, if you want that guy, you can be that guy. But just know you're sacrificing innings or precious at-bats, runs, and RBIs if you're taking them at his price point. Uh, one thing I guess I, I, I should have asked you before we started this Diaz talk, so I agree with what you said there. The guy's great. It's just the you want to draft. And I think you and I are in the same boat. When you're looking at guys like Diaz and trying in and these upper echelon, young, really good closers – and say you're in a your perception of them change there when you're, you know, trying to evaluate and draft and stuff like that compared to this just, you know, redraft leagues. I'm sorry. You blanked out a little bit there. Were you saying the difference between them and keeper and redraft? Uh, yeah, basically in a dynasty or a redraft. You know, I mean, Diaz is still young enough in a dynasty. He he could be worth it. You know, that, that changes it a little bit because of his age and going to the team he's going to and not to mention the starting pitching that's ahead of him. I mean, there there's going to be low-scoring games in that division, and he's going to get opportunities in New York, and I don't think New York will scare him. You know, in dynasty, I'm a little more bullish on him, but, you know, in redraft, I'm not paying that price. All right, let's talk about the second reliever off the board going almost pick 65 since February 1st. Uh, Blake Trinan, amazing year. If you are alive on Twitter anywhere, you've seen the, the, pit, the, the Robert, Rob Friedman's gifts of the slider, which are just insane. But uh, what are you doing with a guy like Blake Trinan? If, if, if you're going early, would you go Trinan over Diaz or do you go Diaz? Well, it's funny because in both of the uh, expert drafts that have happened, 
Um, Trinan has actually gone ahead of Diaz. So I think that kind of tells you where the think tank is. Everyone knows that Diaz is really not going to be able to replicate last year. They probably see it a little more um, accessible for Trinan, even though they're paying a little bit higher price, especially given um, Oakland's bullpen and they they really lack a rotation. So they're going to lean on that bullpen this year. So they need Trinan to really step up. Um, again, I, at the price, I just, you know, it, it's hard for me to take him there. I loved him last year at 185 and I hyped him as such. Um, and, and, you know, the recency bias, he's, he's pushed up there and he did fantastic. But, um, yeah, again, I'm probably going to pass. He did get a hundred K's. He did get 38 saves, you know, that 0.78 ERA is probably not going to happen again, but he was just an animal last year and you have to respect it. Yeah, no, he he was darn filthy. The A's are always in some crazy close games, and they're more competitive than teams people think most years. So the A's closer is always sneaky good with Doolittle and Trinan and others in the past. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, again, price point. Let's go to the third one. It's a little we're gonna switch it up on the outline here because I did January first ADP on, and then I switched it to February first. And oh. Kenley Jansen has jumped Craig Kimbrell, which is interesting. Um, not by a ton still. He's going 72.5 right now. If you go back to January 73, so not really moving a ton, but maybe some people are skeptical of Kimbrell's lack of signing at the moment. And it's just, you know, gone down a couple picks, but you look at Kelly Jansen. We know how good he can be. He used to be the top closer off the board. He had the heart issues, had the heart surgery. How do we look at Kimley this year? Cause you said it, you know, going around pick 72. Now, if you want to go early, you're kind of in that ballpark where you can think about it. Yeah, I'm I'm more interested in Jansen than I would be Kimbrell, so I agree with how the trends have shifted. And every every day that Kimbrell's missing at camp, I'm going to get less interested in him. If you remember last year, Greg Holland didn't sign till late, and it affected him. He tried to step in and close for the Cardinals, and he just didn't have his legs under him. He didn't have the buildup. I mean, there's a reason these guys need spring training. They need some of the reps, especially pitchers and relievers. They got to refine those things. So. Um, I'm definitely nervous. Now, Jansen, it's the heart issue. If he's going to stay healthy and he can handle trips to cores and and he's going to do it, I mean, he's definitely somebody that you can see going third or fourth right now that can end up being the best reliever this year. It's within the realm of outcomes. It's just a matter of how does his health hold up, and that's going to be a big key to watch in spring. But, you know, I'd rather get Jansen at 73 than I would paying for Diaz or Trinan right now. All right, and then you mentioned you, you take Jansen over Kimbrough. Kimbrough's going just right behind him, about pick 75. Uh, we know how filthy he can be. Still don't know where he's going to be landing is the problem. Um, and I agree with all the time off. We talk about it for hitters and pitchers. You know, all the, we like you mentioned Greg Holland. There was Lance Lynn last year and a few others where you saw the, you know, take the first two months out of the season off, and all of a sudden things looked a lot better type stuff. Yep. So uh, with Kimbrough, is he just kind of a no-fly no zone or does – is he still at least draftable for you? At his price point, he's no fly zone. I'll I'll have zero shares zero shares of Kimbrel this year. All right. Now, one of the interesting ones, and we'll talk about him by himself for now, and we'll definitely dig into the Yankees rece- uh, reliever situation later because they have like five closers el- eligible there. Um, <laughs> Aroldis Chapman technically on paper is the closer for the Yankees at pick seventy eight. Now, would you be shocked if other guys got spots here and there? No. But we have to assume he's going to get probably 80% of the share, if not more. Um, how do you look at Roldis Chapman this year? It Does the fact that there are guys there scare you off of him? It doesn't scare me off. I, I like that his 
price is going down a little bit. But here's the thing. He had the knee problems last year, and they've shown pictures of him on Twitter getting all jacked up. So he's in shape and, you know, all of that great things. Um, but, you know, with the increased strikeout rate last year came more walks. He had a 14.2 walk rate last year, and I know some of that can be associated with the knee. You know, you, you get a different push-off. You're getting different landings. It changes all of your stuff. Um, but as a Yankee, he's yet to have a 100 strikeout season. I mean, that blows my mind. You know, that's, that's, that's isolated to the Yankees, that. but that's, that's something we have to keep in mind. Our oldest Chapman has never had a 40-save season, and with a bullpen that deep, I don't think he'll get it. So if you're picking Chapman there for volume, you're probably making a mistake. If you're picking him for strikeouts when he's in there and high flames, and he's going to be somebody that we want to see the velocity and we want to see the knee healthy this spring. His price could go up if all those things are there. I mean, the Yankees are in line to win close to 100 games again, so you know they're going to get saves it's just how many is he going to get and how long will he last? Is he going to need a stint on the DL and, you know, or does the knee linger and he loses his release point again? And now we're back to, now we're back to square one. Yeah. That's some great stuff there. I didn't even realize, you know, you look at Chapman, you think how dominant he is and he thought, you know, you could almost pencil in a hundred strikeouts and, you know, 40 saves here and there. And the fact he hasn't done that with the Yankees of all teams is pretty crazy. And it goes back to the depth and the injuries he's had. Um, and I am actually kind of worried about how jacked up he is. Cause I don't think pitchers, I don't think pitchers should be that jacked up. Like it just doesn't seem to, cause the whole fluidity of the, the pitching motion, that kind of just scares me, but uh, we'll see. We'll definitely see how that plays out. Um, we have another switcheroo coming here. Brad hand was going since January 1st, 85th. Now he's up to 82nd on the relievers chart and his name is everywhere. The helium. I think he's going to keep going. I, I'm actually not going to be shocked if he passes the role as Chapman here pretty soon. Anyway, Kimbrell's dropping hands. Everybody's talking about Brad Hand. Is the talk uh, viable? Is he a guy to target come draft day? He can be, but again, as that price keeps going up, then you you kind of get nervous. You know, who's going to set him up in Cleveland? I mean, they've got Oliver Perez and Adam Simber. I mean, Alex Wilson. They just signed. I mean, that's a pretty unstable bridge to get to him in the ninth inning, and you know. We've seen the Cleveland in the past make Andrew Miller work too hard and they almost ran him into the ground. I can see them doing that to Brad Hand, too. So, Definitely. you know, as much as I like Brad Hand and he's somebody else that I beat the drum for in the past, I'm a little nervous about A, the helium, and then B, the support cast that he has. You know, what if they blow the game before he gets in there? Or what if they put him in there too soon and he has to face one batter too many? You know, his ERA and walk rate did go up when he came to the American League in Cleveland last year. So, you know, you, you just got to pay attention to the little peripheral things. You can take them. I'm just saying he, like like we were mentioning, almost feels like all these guys have that what if. Yeah, that's a great point with him because I could see them, like Francona has no problem using his guy extra innings or even bringing them in in a different situation. And all of a sudden here comes Simber coming in to get a two out save somewhere or something yep. and completely screwing it all up. And, you know, the peripherals could be great for hand. He might, but by season's end, you know, his numbers might look like Josh haters. <laughs> You're getting later. There, there's a lot of weird scenarios there. And the other part with the Indians, I know Vlad Sedler tweeted it out the other day and, and I've looked, many others have looked at it. That team is not going to be the dominant force it once was. They're still going to be very good. They're still going to be very good just because the division's that bad. But the overall perception that they're just going to kind of walk through things Mm -mm. isn't going to be what it was before. 
No, uh, so. Minnesota has a better offense and a better bullpen than Cleveland right now. The only thing Cleveland has better is a rotation. Yep, and I, I really do think Minnesota is going to challenge them this year. It's going to be fun, very, very fun. The, the wild uh, card let's go talk Roberto Asuna. I'm sorry, one, the yeah. wild card with Cleveland is Danny Salazar. If he ends up in that bullpen, that will be somebody I'll get a lot of shares if he comes back and can throw um, from like June on. If he ends up in high leverage, he's somebody I'm very interested in. Yeah, like that's the guy, man. We I every year now we say the wild card is Danny Salazar that comes to the Indians because he is so good. And I think that like he could be their next hater. Like that'd be the perfect role for him. Mm-hmm. Give me two innings that just lights out Salazar. That'd be yep. amazing. Yeah, so I'm would. with you there. That'd be good. Let's talk Roberto Asuna, the Houston Astros closer. Um, off field problems aside, he's going about pick eighty three. We know he's really good, and to me, this is interesting. Because a top four or five closer going into last draft season, the stuff hasn't changed. He was still very good last year. And now he's coming off the board about the eighth closer off the board, seventh or eighth. How do we look at Roberto Asuna in Houston this year? I think it all depends on his personality. I mean, the guy's never had a whip above one in the major leagues. You know, he he was going to be a starter and transition to the bullpen, and he's accepted it. I think he has the most saves for anybody under age 23 in major league history. Um, he ramped up his changeup use last year and kind of got got rid of the sinker, which is the Astros' way. Um, so there's there's a chance he's going to rack up strikeouts now. Um, this was told to me off the record, but um, Jason Grilly's dad owns a bar here in Syracuse, and we do our auction there every year because they have awesome wings. Um, and that's my old homeschool league. It's my favorite league because it's auction, and we get in there and we bust each other's chops, and it's a great time. But um, like I said, his dad owns that bar. He He's a Syracuse guy. And he said his son has never been afraid of any teammate in his life except Roberto Asuna. Ooh, so you, can, you can take that for what it's worth. But if, you know, if a pitcher's dad's telling me that, that his son's saying, hey, this guy, he's talented, but there's something, there's something not there. I'm just a little worried. Now, the talent, Asuna is there. So, you know, I don't want to cause all kinds of speculations or, or – make all kinds of controversy, but you know, that, that, that's a hornet's nest because we know his manager Hinch has a trigger finger with closers. And if Asuna goes through a tough, like one or two week stretch, would he look at Ryan Presley? It's possible. You know, they're, they're already saying he's their guy, but you know, you never know if he pisses off Verlander or other guys in that, in that uh, clubhouse that could end badly for Asuna. So that that's his, what if. And I, I like that the Ryan Presley call there because I think he's a great closer. I thought Minnesota should have kept him to close there mm-hmm. in the future, but uh, that yeah, didn't happen. He'll, he'll be in our closing segment. Don't worry. Perfect. Yeah, I think he's good. And, and then, heck, you can't even do, completely write off Hector Rondon, who has closed before. I like Presley more so. Mm-hmm. But uh, both are, are very viable. So it's a good point because Hence does not care. So that's a very, very valid point there. Uh, next up, we got Felipe Vasquez of the Pittsburgh Pirates going right around pick 90 right now. Pirates are an intriguing team. Um, you know, you never can predict wins and losses and everything like that, but they should be in it. Pakota actually likes them to be around 500, a little better than 500. Uh, Felipe Vasquez has the stuff, but what are we thinking about him? Well, see, that's it. You know, if, if, if he was my dart of all the guys we talked about right now, he would probably be my one. Like, if you're saying, hey, this guy could kind of come out of nowhere and be and put in, like, an, a Diaz season, I think Vasquez might be my dart especially in this first grouping that you gave me, you know, he converted after he, he struggled early in the season last year. There was a little concern about his velocity and then he just hit his groove. He converted 24 straight saves. 
struck out 89. I mean, he's never had a hundred strikeout season, but I think it could be there in his arm. It's just a matter of what that whip's going to be. You know, his whip kind of went up a little bit last year, but that was again, that accompanied his early season struggles. I could see a 1.1 whip, 95 strikeouts, and I could see him racking up his first 40 save season. I mean, that division's going to be, you know, a struggle. There's going to be tough games every night. I mean, Chicago, all of those guys, it's going to be ultra competitive. So if he gets those one out saves and, and can squeak them through, I think he could be a volume guy that surprises. Yeah. It's like, like I said, you can't really ever predict how saves are going to happen because, you know, some of these really good teams are going to blow teams out. So they don't even have safe situations and other ones don't like when I look at teams like the pirates, the Royals and all these other ones, it's like, okay, they're going to win 60 to 80 games depending on the team. And to me, a lot of them are going to be closer than people think. So they should have safe situations. Does it always work? No. That's kind of when I, when I look for longer shot guys, that's where like guys like Felipe Vasquez do stand out, like you said, because, you know, believe Pakoto for however much you want. They haven't projected, like I said, a little over 500. So that's 81 games and say 60 of them more than three. He's going to get a shot in 60 games. I like mm-hmm. my chances to say get 40 plus saves. Not that it's going to happen. Just trying to the spitball ideas in my head when I'm drafting. Yep. So I, I think I think Velasquez is very very talented. He's very very consistent. Very good ERA whip guy with uh, the strikeout upside, which will be interesting to see if he can uh, build on that, as you said. So I, I like that call a lot with Velasquez. Um, again, pick ninety, he'd be the one, two, three, four, five, six. He's like the uh, ninth reliever off the board. Mm-hmm. So not bad at all. Nope, he could be top five. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, the next one going down is interesting because it kind of goes into something we'll talk about later. But Rossiel Iglesias technically is the Reds' closer right now, going about pick 95-96. The interesting thing is, is they've already come out and said they'd like to use them for multi-inning roles, for more leverage situations, which is something that has changed the game, which, again, we'll talk about more in depth at, towards the end. But when it comes to Iglesias, he's still the guy there for now. The overall situation in, in Cincinnati – isn't great by any means. How are we looking at a guy like Rossiel Iglesias? Because when you're picking him here, he might be your first closer off the board. Um, it'll be interesting. You know, I he gave up a little bit more hard hit rate last year and some home runs, but his strike percentage went up and so did swinging strike rate. So there was a little bit of consolidation, I think. Um, he was kind of adjusting. It's weird. He he seemed to do a little bit better when he was getting the four out saves than when they used him in a more traditional role. So, yeah, they might use him as the effector this year, which means when they see it as the most high lever situation, he might be in there. But, you know, he's not going to get shut out of the ninth inning. So if it depresses his ADP a little bit, I wouldn't mind him as my first closer, especially if the price goes down a little more. Um, he's not somebody I'm scared of, so I'm not going to let all of that talk, you know, scare me off because they did the same thing in Texas with LeClerc, you know, originally they said they're going to use him wherever. And then it's like, well, we're using more of his closer and you can see the pitching coach kind of see what he has around him. Um, the intriguing thing there is if they do use a Glacius in a, in a non-traditional role, it might pave the way for Amir Garrett to pick up a handful of saves. That's a great call there with Garrett. Cause he, he did look a lot better out of the bullpen last year than in starting rotation. And um, the, the Iglesias stuff, that's one reason why I really do like him coming into this year is because of the fact if if he's not getting as many saves per se, he's still getting good situations, which means he's probably getting the strikeouts. The counting stats are really, really good. And his ratios for the most part will be pretty solid. So it's one of those – it goes back to the little 15-team thing where, you know, you only – needed like 68 saves. Mm-hmm. Well, if you get a glaze, used to give you 25, but then throw in all those extra strikeouts and everything. I mm-hmm. think there's an upside to that 
instead yep. of just going, okay, I need this 35 save guy. So that's why he stands out as someone I, I really like. I took him in Barf this last week in the 14-team Barf League. I, I was a big fan of his, especially where he's going in this draft. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Howard took him in the uh, the serious, you know, on-air personality draft too. So he had him and Kirby Yates. So, I mean, that was a pretty solid foundation. He didn't pay through the roof for him. He got him, I think, in like the ninth and the – or I think the eighth and the tenth rounds, which isn't egregious. Yeah, it's not bad at all. And uh, funny you mentioned Kirby Yates because Howard took him in Barf as well. So that must be one of his guys. Yes. Um, <laughs> I've, I've seen a trend here. Um <laughs> Sean Doolittle going about pick 96. He's moved up three picks in the last month. So there's a little bit of a helium on Doolittle. Uh, I know a lot of people, again, at that barf draft, they were loving him. They all wanted him. They got sniped on him. I wasn't quite sure exactly why. I know he's really good, but I wasn't like as in love with him as everybody else. What is it with Doolittle that I might be missing here? Well, I think what people love about him is, A, he's a great guy. I love his tweets. Crack me up. He's, he's kind of tuned into society, and he's got a great feel for stuff. Um, him and his wife do a lot of charity work, so I know that stands out with Eno. But um, here's the deal. 2016, 39 innings pitched. 2017, 51.1 innings pitched. 2018, 45 innings pitched. All right, do you see a trend? There is a trend. Now, when he's on the mound, he's fantastic. He's a low-whip guy. He racks up strikes out, strikeouts, and he's very good in save conversions. However, you have to bake this in. I mean, are you really – if you're taking him in the top 100, you're saying I'm going to get 65 innings out of him, most likely. I I I can't bank on that. Can you? No. And and I love him. I I've loved him from the time he came up and moved to the bullpen, and he was dominating. I mean, the guy's nails. But you've got to know that you're probably paying for 50 innings, so you have to bake that in when you're doing your overall numbers. Yeah, that that's a good point. That does change things a bit there. So uh, something worth keeping an eye on for sure. Um. Yeah, he's he gets banged up in the Ro- Rosenthal. I know he's not scary, but he's a very interesting guy sitting right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, that kind of wraps up the main closer roles. And another interesting one you mentioned, Jose Leclerc. Well, let's kind of start melding these together because Leclerc jumped Hater, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll go with some kind of deeper guys. We can go in depth of them as you want. But you mentioned Leclerc earlier as a guy going multiple innings last year. There's uh he came on late on the year and had a pretty good season. How do you look at Leclerc going into this year? Uh, I love Leclerc. Um, I know he's had walk issues in the past. Um, he kind of solved some of that in the second half last year. So I'll, I'll give you his numbers, and again I'll tie it in later when we do the when we do the hater segment. But Jose Leclerc in the second half last year had a 19.5 swinging strike percentage. 19.5. Wow. 33 strikeouts minus walks percentage and a 2.59 FIP. So I think that's kind of sexy, you know? And, yeah, you know what? He might walk a few people this year, but we always knew the guy had the stuff, but there was, like, a mental disconnect. And then last year, it seemed like the switch turned. Now, again, he's a risk because it was a a second-half breakout, but those numbers align with what um, what Knable did in the second half of 2017, which is what I used to identify – people that could take that same jump in 2017 in the second half hater had a one second 17 swinging strike percentage and let's see he had a 36.2 percent strikeout rate and 11.7 walk percentage so that's about a 25 
K minus walk. So our guy Leclerc beat him on both of those. That's pretty darn solid. I, um, and he's going around pick like 110 right now. So that, that, that's pretty darn solid. In a 15-team league, he's going around eight, basically, something like that. I, I'm, I'll tell you right now, if I could get Vasquez and Leclerc, I'd be happy as pie. That's a good start there. Uh, right behind him is Josh Hader, like literally a half a pick behind Leclerc. Um, obviously not in line for a ton of saves. Had an insane year last year. How do you approach a guy like Hader in a draft? Because I guess in, you know, he gets you all the peripheral stats and everything, but saves aren't a guarantee. Correct. And that's, you know, that was baked into his value last year. Six wins and 12 saves. I mean, those 12 saves really boost his overall ranks when you look at the end of the season stuff on player raiders and things of that nature. I mean, yeah, 143 strikeouts and 55 games and 81.1 innings. I mean, that's awesome. However, last year at this time, he was going after pick 300. You know, now you're talking about a 200 or 200 pick price boost, not to mention the fact that you probably don't think he's going to get 12 saves. I could see him getting seven to nine as a more realistic number. Like if they get into a game and he's in a groove and they just let him finish out the ninth after he gets a guy out in the eighth, I could see that definitely happening so they don't overuse Knable. But, um, yeah, I mean, you're, again, we talked to recency bias. You're at that price point, you're paying for last year's stats, but I don't know if you're going to get them this year. Yeah, uh, that's the only thing I'm worried about. I, I did take the gamble on him in that, that bar fleet just because I wanted the peripheral stats because I kind of punted pitching, starting pitching early. So I was looking for – it's a daily moves league, so I'm looking for streaming and, and getting okay. the counting stats as I'm there. It was well, a different strategy. That's yeah, what well, I was going with. And something like that, he makes much more sense. I mean, in, yeah. in a daily moves league, he has much more value than in a weekly setup. You know, most of these yeah. leagues are weekly. Um, and even if you're in the NFBC, you know, you can change your hitters on Friday, but you can't change your pitchers. So you're locked yeah. into a guy for a week. So if you have guys that are low strikeout starters, then absolutely you want to buffer him in there because he's valuable. But, you know, it's a, it's all about roster construction. You got to be pliable and it's how you're going to piece it together. Yeah, no doubt about it. Right after Hater Hater going about 110 at 110.67, you have Kirby Yates. We just mentioned how Bender is all over the Kirby Yates bandwagon. San Diego's a fun team. They're coming together maybe a year away still, but they're coming. What is it about Kirby Yates that has everybody excited? Well, when 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 Howard was in that draft, because it was a slow draft at that point, they did the first few rounds. Or no, that might have been his last pick when it was live, but – he was messaging back and forth with me, and then he was like, well, I kind of like this person, but I might want a closer. I'm like, well, if you're going to pick a closer here, might as well get Yates. And he was like, oh, yeah, I love Yates. So then he, he did the draft pick right there, and he's kind of stuck with him. So Yates in the second half last year, 18.7 swinging strike percentage, higher than Hader in 2017. 35.3 strikeouts minus walks percentage, higher than Hader's 2.37 xFIP. So again, you know, Yates did have a, there was like a stretch of a week or two there. He was kind of giving up bombs. So he blew a couple of saves near the end. So that might resonate with people. But again, this, this is a potential top five closer on a not so great team, but could give you good peripheral stuff. That's kind of flying below the radar. No, I like that. They're projected to get over 80 wins again. So it kind of goes back to my Felipe Vasquez conversation that mm-hmm. Yates is going to have chances and uh, that K upside is tremendous. So I like that a lot. Good, good take on that one. Um, a little bit of a sketchy one coming up here. Pick 122. He had a very up and down year. 
Uh, I saw a tweet about him. I believe it was Brian Rudd. I could be totally wrong there. Um, that tweeted out like the last month and a half to two months of Wade Davis' season. He realized he was doing something wrong, and the numbers look a lot better. He's still in Colorado, which is always scary, but how do you evaluate Wade Davis? Well, that was the thing, you know, from doing the stuff with rotographs and, and keeping the closer charts updated last year, he did. He There was a, one game he just completely melted down. I think he gave up three or four runs in the outing in Colorado loss, and he went and watched video, and he noticed a couple of things in his release point and other stuff, and then he kind of tweaked it, and then when he came back, he had that surge at the end of the year. Um, you know, Wade Davis is kind of who we think he is now. He's not quite the dominant starter that, or excuse me, dominant closer we wanted him to be um, back in drafts in 2016, but he's better than what he showed overall last year. Um, I think he can carry some of the momentum of that second half forward. Um, again, just going to be a matter of health, you know, and the Rockies this year, you know, this, they have better starting pitching. You know, can can he hold up? So I don't mind him. I would just – I prefer the upside of LeClerc and Yates to him, but that's just personal. Okay. Um, Ken Giles went to Toronto from, in that Ozuna deal. Um, he kind of has some issues going on between the years, but that's out of our control. But, um, <laughs> you know, if you want to smack yourself in the face, knock yourself out, I guess. But the stuff is there when it's there. That's the best way I can put it. How do we look at a guy like Ken Giles going to Toronto, tough division, it's going to be murky at times. He's he scares the hell out of me. In yep. saves, now here's in saves last year. In saves, zero point three five ERA. He converted all twenty six of his save chances. As crazy as all the gifts and everything else goes, in twenty five point two innings with a thirty one to four strikeout to walk ratio. Out of saves, twenty four point two innings pitched, nine point one two ERA <laughs> with a twenty two to three strikeouts to walk ratio. So I don't know if he needs the juice to get him into it or what's going on. But so if you own Ken Giles, you better pray he's only in and save situations because when he goes in the mop up games, he gets lit up. And now again, that was last year. Uh, I'm not touching him this year just because I don't think Toronto has any reason to keep him past the trade deadline. I, I'm pretty sure they're going to try and get 15, 20 saves out of him and then move him down the road. But that's just me. Yeah, it goes to that whole saying, you know, when you're you're watching a game on TV and your closer comes in when there's like a five-run lead, and, the, and immediately the first thing in your head goes, oh, crap. He's yep. not in a save. And, and he, all of a sudden he walks a guy in four pitches. And then there's a, there's a base hit, and you're just like, okay, here we go. <laughs> there it goes. I, when I see that, I turn it off because I only want to watch. It's yep. like, you know the train wreck's coming, so just move all along. It's amazing with these closers, how they have to, like you said, you have to have the juice, have to be in that world. It's a whole different animal. It's pretty crazy. Um, Milwaukee, again, this is a big one I want to talk about later, the Brew Crew. But technically, Corey Kniebel is the closer right now. There is Jeffers, there's Hader, there's Burns, there's company. But right now, he's going to pick 134, and he actually kind of turned it on and got it going towards the postseason again. Do we trust him to be the guy? Is he worth pick 134? Yep, I I actually love him. You know, this is almost kind of like – it feels like Trinan, because remember last year there was questions about Trinan. Could he handle closing over the full season? He got to Oakland, and in the second half he kind of broke out, but people didn't want to totally buy it, you know what I mean, because they remember what he did when he had the closing job to open the season in Washington. Knable feels the same way. He, he, you know, he opened as the closer. He was one of the top ten picks last year. Um, then he had the injury issue. He tried to come back too soon. He was a mess. They put him back in the minors. When he came back after the minors, 
Here's, here's his fun numbers. 14.7 swing strike percentage, 35 strikeouts minus walks percentage, 1.89 X fit. It's not bad. It's not, that's not bad at all. That's the, those are the same numbers we were quoting. Not quite the high swinging strike percentage that Leclerc and Yates had, but he's right there with them. And, and, and then again, at that price, now say again, so say I took Vasquez at 73 or 85, whatever he's going at. And then I get Knabel at like 130. I don't mind moving up a little to take him. Again, those are two closers with upside and strikeouts that I'm definitely comfortable with using. And I hope anybody in my league and the TGFBI is not listening to this. <laughs> yeah, that's the fun part. There's a lot of sharks in those leagues kind of ruin a lot of the game plans. It's almost like, like, do you feel if you want like some of your guys, especially kind of in shorter supply like closers and whatnot that you got to kind of go earlier in those leagues yes yeah if you know there's because you get cute and people look at the adp and you can look at the monthly and see where guys are going and say okay well he should be there at pick 130 if you're a pick 125 and you want a second closer and can sitting there and you want him take him because you know what's going to happen is you're like oh i'm going to get cute and see if he could last on the way back and then he gets picked to, to pick before you and you get pissed off and the the thing is, if you want the guy, you take him. You take your guys. One of the things that fueled Clay Link last year was he was drafting his guys. You know, if you take your guys and, and you got them, you ride it out. So true. So true. I like it a lot. Uh, a little farther down now, this is an interesting one to me because it kind of goes back to my Colomay comments earlier. Going about pick 148-49, Tampa Bay closer Jose Alvarado, 23 years old, looked good in his short time last year. Is this one of those guys we could look at as a late later round target to kind of get us a 25-30 saves? I want to say yes because I am an Alvarado truther. Um he's almost, you know, in the same mold as uh as as Doolittle. He he really doesn't walk too many people. Um he had a 27.7 strikeouts minus walk rate in the second half last year, uh swing strike percentage over 15, x fip of 2.21 um after the All-Star break. So he really surged now you know, we've seen them do this with McGee, and there's always turnover with the Rays bullpen, and they've already come out and said that they're not going to use a closer. Um, but you're drafting skills over over role right now with Alvarado. So if he's your second closer with upside, say you went really early with – he might pair better with like a Diaz or a Trinan. If you went for one of those early guys and then you kind of want to load up at-bats and innings after that – then you take like an Alvarado to pair with him. I think he makes more sense in that scenario. If you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Not totally makes sense. When you get the big end of the spectrum, go down there. So no problem with that at all. Uh, last guy we're going to bring up specifically at pick 182 is because he has a new home in Philadelphia, David Robertson. He's been so good in closers and setup type roles. It looks like it's his job, but there's still some pieces there in, in uh, Philadelphia that might not give it to him hundred percent. Mm-hmm. How do we look at uh, Robertson with the Phillies? Well, see, I think the Phillies kind of – Kapler won't say who his closer is, and he's totally against it. He's one of these new guys that says, hey, it's I'm going to use the bullpen the way I want it and kind of thumbs his nose at you, and you kind of in fantasy have to accept it and deal with it. Um, here's what I'm hoping for. So David Robinson over the last three years is 22-8 and eight with 57 saves and 29 holes. So he can kind of be – whatever you want him to be as a reliever. 266 strikeouts over the last three years against 81 walks. That's a 22.6 strikeouts minus walk percentage. 14.1 swinging strike percentage, which is pretty good. And he's held contact below 70%. 
He improved against left-handers in the last couple of years. He's kind of he's he, he's using the slider more, which has given him a few more strikeouts. So I could see David Robinson doing very well. Now you, you're going to have to treat him um, like we were talking about with Iglesias. You know, he might only get 25 saves, but if you're getting good strikeouts and he's a lot a lot cheaper, then that could be your second guy with upside, and you're just hoping. But you know. Predicting anybody in the Phillies bullpen, they get more than 20 saves. It's going to be risky business. Yeah, that, that's that's the truth there. Uh, before we go to the next section, I just want to do like a rapid fire kind of de- like player debate or grouping here. Back to the ones we listed off. If you had to pick just one in this group, do you want Edwin Diaz or Blake Trinan? If I'm picking one, I'm probably picking Trinan. Okay. What about this group? Kimbrell, Jansen, Chapman, just one. Jansen. Osuna, Brad Hand, Felipe Vasquez. Vasquez. Iglesias, Doolittle, Leclerc, Yates. Oh, you put the curveball in me. I'm more of a Leclerc guy, and Bender's more of a Yates guy, so I'm staying with my with my gut and going Leclerc. Okay, and the last one's kind of the last grouping. Uh, Wade Davis, Giles, Knebel, Alvarado. Knebel. All right, there you go, people. There you go. All right, let's talk a little more committee talk because there's a lot of it out there, and you kind of already hinted at it with the Philadelphia part, how's that going to actually play out. If you are looking at Philadelphia, do you want Dominguez or do you want Robertson? Well, I I don't think I expounded upon that. What I meant to say was the blueprint was last year near the end, he was kind of using Sir Anthony as the effector, which means when he felt he needed to get a couple of outs that were necessary. So he kind of took him out of the closer role that he kind of – lofted into for a little bit there he had a small grip on it so i see dominguez as being like the when they need outs he's going to be the main guy on there and then whoever they need at the end to mop up will get it now so that's why i think robertson will end up getting more saves to him but could i see a scenario where they both get 15 yep now does that make you you know we just said where robertson's going uh when you look at sir anthony and give me one step in here um, he's going to pick two twenty-seven and a half. Does that have little legs to you? If if I'm yeah, you know, it, it all depends on how I'm building the roster before that. But if I'm looking for upside, it's probably with Dominguez. If I'm looking for, I want a solid fifteen saves and the the whatever, then the safety is Robertson. All right, um, Baltimore Orioles. Michael Givens on paper is supposed to be the guy. It was already mentioned today, and, gonna, and people need to realize there's going to be tons of reports going all over the place, but I quote tweeted it. I know many have seen it, but they're already going to use him in the best-case scenario roles. So being that being said, and it is the Orioles who might be lucky to win 55 games, Michael Givens, anybody else, or just ignore Baltimore completely? Uh, I'm going to ignore. Um, <laughs> it was kind of that way before they made the announcement. It's nothing against Givens because he actually pitched well when he got the closer role, but he was struggling before that with his command and location. And you know, I, you know, one year he won eight games, the next year he won zero. I mean, there's just so many outcomes with Givens and that bullpen. That and it's a new manager. I'd rather take a year and see what happens there than figure it out. Um, if I was in like a 50 round draft champions. I might spend like a 49th round pick on Tanner Scott and hope he gets me like five saves out of nowhere. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay away from Baltimore for now. All right. I like the name Tanner Scott. This is one thing I want to mention to people is when Greg was on last year and Greg does his, like um, his sheet of closers and, and next in lines and all that. And he updates it and does the rotographs articles. He throws names out there that you need to pay attention to. So Tanner Scott, pay attention. Just, he might sneak in there somewhere throughout the season. Um, 
Boston Red Sox, obviously Kim Rill not coming back at the moment. Still could resign. You never know. But people are thinking Matt Barnes or Ryan Brazier. And I've seen a lot of drafts. One, the other, both are like late round flyers for people. Mm-hmm. How are you approaching these two? I think I would rather start with Barnes if I was if I'm making if I'm picking between the two of them, I'm gonna go with Barnes just myself right now. Um and I'll give to you the the hater stuff with him. Now Bar- Barnes was kind of sneaky in the second half. He had a swing strike percentage of 18.4 after the break. Uh, strikeouts minus walks 26.4. He just missed the hater rating because his xFIP was 3.14. But that's still not that bad. Uh, again, on a team that's probably going to win 95 to 100 games, if if he ends up being the closer, that could be a cheap 30 saves. So I, I know some people are on Team Brazier, but I'm I'm going to defer to Team Barnes right now. Yeah, I like it. I think uh, I think Core is going to go with the more experience might not be the right word, but I think Barnes kind of earned the chance to have the first mm-hmm. go at it. Correct. And if he's doing his thing, I don't think he's going to take him out of it. So that's that's where I'm at. And I think it kind of lines out with what you're saying as well. Um, Chicago White Sox. This is an interesting one. Two guys I've had in years past as closers. Now they're kind of sharing the role and seeing how it goes with Kelvin Herrera and Alex Colomay. Both have proven they can do it. Colomay pitched really well setting up in Seattle last year once traded. How do you approach this the White Sox situation? Well, let's see. The White Sox last year only had 10 different relievers get a save. Only? Only 10? <laughs> sarcasm font there. But, you know, um, you know, people talk about Kapler being frustrating. Trying to predict what the White Sox are going to do with a bullpen it makes you pull your hair out. I mean, you just don't know. And, and, and it's funny because the best peripherals is Jace Fry. So, you know, what what are you going to do here? And they've still got Ian Hamilton lying in the background. Zach Birdie's coming back from Tommy John. They've got so many arms. Do, do I see a scenario where Colome gets trade? you know, put Colome as the closer because this has kind of been the White Sox MO. Put him in closer for the first couple, two, three months, and then trade him at the deadline and get another prospect, which is what they keep amassing. Then you have Herrera and Fry share it the rest of the way. I could definitely see that happening. So, if I'm picking right now, I'm saying Colome leads them in saves, but you know your guess is as good as mine with that team. Yeah, and there's a, there's a long shot that it won't start the year out this way, but um, I think there's uh, one Mr. Michael Kopech who might sneak in the back of that bullpen towards season's end and just to get some professional innings under his belt, but we'll see how that goes. That's a uh, they, complete long shot with, They've done that with Sale. Yeah, so I, I'm going to be shocked if that happens later as well. Uh, Kansas City Royals. Brad Boxberger just got signed. Wiley, Wiley Peralta pitched really well towards the end of last year. It's already come out and said, uh, Ned Yost said, we're just going to go with whatever works best, situational pitching. How do you look at these two? Uh, the translation there is, you know, Peralta did rack up some saves, but I, I worry about that whip. He's a, he's a ratio killer potential. Um, and not that Boxberger's t- a ton better. A gun to my head, I'd probably say Boxberger. Um, what I'm really curious to see is what they do. I don't know why I'm a Kyle Zimmer truther, but I'm really curious to see if he wins a bullpen role because he, he was going to be a stud starter and then he's been injured and he's working his way back and they, they released him and resigned him for cheap. I don't know why, but I just feel like Zimmer someday might get a chance to close in that bullpen after Peralta and Boxberger have ran their course, but who knows? Again, I'm probably going to avoid the Kansas City bullpen, but that's just personal. 
And, and one thing I want to reiterate to people is a lot of these teams, besides like the Red Sox that have committees, are not great teams. And a lot of these guys could easily be traded at some point this season if they get any traction. Mm-hmm. So keep that yep. in mind as well. Uh, Minnesota Twins. Again, we already mentioned uh, Presley that could be their closer right now, but he's in Houston. They got Trevor May, who's very good, very good. And then they went and signed Blake Parker, who maybe a change of scenery helps. How do you look at this situation? To me, it's May, but it's it's sketchy. I I want it to be May, and then I also think that you know, if if the Twins really wanted to maximize their bullpen, if they if they use May and Rogers in a combined role, like you know lefty righty matchups, kind of the way um, Cleveland used to do with Cody Allen and Andrew Miller. I think they could have two really good back end guys there. Um, I know everybody's like kind of on the Blake Parker signing, but he wasn't very good for the Angels last year. I watched a bunch of their games. I would stay up late in the summer just to see how different closers were doing, and you want to watch them in game situations. You know, there was a reason people were drafting Ty Buttery before um, Cody Allen signed because Buttery was the better pitcher down the stretch last year. So. Um, personally, you know, again, May second half, six, uh, swing strike percentage over 16. He had a strikeouts minus walk percentage of over 32 and an XFIP of 223. Rogers, 26.2 strikeouts minus walk percentage and a 2.92 XFIP. And he, once he added the, the pitch in the second half there, he was lights out. So if they went with a two headed man's monster, I'd love in a daily league, you know, you're kind of guessing, but if you had the extra roster space, if you put them both in there, you might get ratio help. And then whichever one gets to save, then you're, you're laughing at to the bank. If you're using those as like an interchangeable group. Yeah. It's uh, right now you got Trevor Mays going about pick two fifty six and Parker about three sixty two. Um, I like the idea of having them both, especially in a daily league. Um, if per se you only had to take one, do you prefer just waiting and saying Parker at 362 or do you want the May side of it? Um, I prefer the May. As okay. much as I don't like to overpay, I think May has better stuff. Okay. Uh, the Atlanta Braves, very interesting deal here. At the Rotus Vizcaino closed a lot last year. You got A.J. Minter, who people thought was going to be the closer, kind of got hurt. Um, they still have other guys sitting around that bullpen as well. They signed O'Day, who's not a bad setup man that can sneak in once in a while. Uh, you got Luis Cajara and others. But right now you got Vizcaino, you got Mentor, and a very good ball club. How do you look at the, the Atlanta Braves? Um, personally, I, I, you know, Vizcaino feels to me a little bit like Doolittle. You know, you look at the innings pitched every year and the appearances, and he just he can't stay healthy. You know, they're already talking about, you know, how strong his shoulder is going to be and things of that nature. You know, I know some people are on Team Vizcaino, and you know, and I love Matt Modica. He was on Vizcaino last year. Uh, I'd rather have Minter. Yeah, Minter's going at two seventy one, while Vizcaino is going at one eighty one. So I think that value on on Minter is really really interesting there. I think you know he's a he could be a a slow burn, but if he gets that job, say May. I think he could run with it. I think he learned last year. He had that big thing, and everybody was all over him last year. So he's got a little of the post-hype feel. He was better than what his stuff showed last season, and you mentioned the health thing. Uh, I really think he, he as, a, as your third closer, he could definitely return upside. Yeah, definitely uh, an interesting look there. A couple more. The Miami Marlins, Drew Steckenrider, they just signed Sergio Romo. Like you thought you had it figured out, and then they go and sign Sergio freaking Romo. So that's just, you know, now Donnie Baseball's got another toy to play with. 
do we still just say it's Steckenrider's job or is Sergio really going to do this to us? Um, actually, it's funny because when you read the when you read the beat writer from the Marlins, he talked about Steckenrider, he talked about Romo, and he also talked about Adam Conley. So we talked about what the Indians did back with Andrew Miller and Cody Allen. Whoever wins out between Romo and Steckenrider could be in that same role because Conley and Steckenrider split saves at the end last year. So I could see that being there. Now, um, another fantasy alarm guy on the side there, Craig Mish, he loves Tommy Eveld, E-V-E-L-D. So that's a name to keep stash. He, he's got, he's got, he's a, you know, traditional power reliever with fastball, can can get 95 96 and he's got a really good slider he could be somebody in the second half that could get you those pocket 10 saves that, that people are like who the hell's tommy eveld and you're like oh he's that clown jew was talking about in february <laughs> i love it and, and mish if anybody knows the miami marlins it's craig mish so, yes uh, that's a very very good call there uh last one it's near and dear to my heart on a bad baseball team this year in the san francisco giants but Will Smith, Mark Melanskin, Mark Melanskin is the guy that got paid but can't stay healthy. Will Smith's actually been really good since he's come back and got healthy. Um, I, I think it should be Will Smith's job. I don't see why not. But Bochy could play the lefty-righty thing as well. How do you look at this? I think some of this is going to depend. I mean, I know San Francisco thinks they're in the Bryce Harper sweepstakes. You oh, know, please, if they, yeah. if, they <laughs> if they signed Harper, then I think they'd be more likely to, to keep Smith. Um, I just if if they're if if they're really going to try and rebuild or re restructure, I don't know why they're going to hold on to Smith. And when you sure. can probably move him, especially because you still got Tony Watson as a lefty in your bullpen as a setup guy, um, they don't want Watson closing. They made that obvious last year, so I don't know. I'm kind of avoiding Smith because I have no idea what's going to happen with him. I like the stuff and I like the peripherals. But I'm nervous about what his eventual role will be. Will they move it to Melanson? They're probably going to give him the first chance, and we know Bochi prefers veterans. Um, but then it comes down to if Melanson burns out or he can't get that tilt on on his sinker, are you going to go in Baranta or Black? And then it's just kind of all wide open at that point. So to me, I'm passing on this bullpen. But you can give me your thoughts since you're out there. And it's a mess. Uh, Will Smith has been mentioned in trade rumors. Watson, Melanson, they all have whatever fetches value pretty much right about now is, is going to get is going to go because I trust the restructuring. It's going to be a few years. They know what they're doing, but there's going to be a lot of casualties coming up here. So it's one of those who can we get value for? They'll probably be the closer until we can trade them. Um, I, I could see it being the Smith to start with, but you know if they can get that Melanson deal off the books, that might be the way to go. So it'll be really interesting to see how they approach it. Yes. All right, a couple last things to talk about here. Some kind of holds targets, hater types talk here. We'll start with the Yankees. They I already mentioned they're loaded in the bullpen, so many options. How do you approach that situation come draft day? Well, here's the few things you know about on the stuff, the nuggets I gave you on on, uh, on our boy Aroldis. So Dylan Batanzas has struck out over 100 the last five years. So you know you're going to get strikeouts with him. Um, once he gets his release point, sometimes it gets a little out of whack because he's so tall. But the the guy's just a monster stud. So, like, you know, you were talking about with Hayter. He's actually – he's now a cheaper Hayter this year, if that makes sense. So he could give you some cheap wins because the Yankees are going to be in high leverage games and Batances is going to be out there. He might give you five saves, and he's going to give you 100 strikeouts. So if you're looking to boost those categories on your team, then you can draft Batances with confidence. I think the rest of the bullpen will kind of depend. You know, Adovino is – 
a huge strikeout guy. And I think he's, he's, you know, he took less money to go back to New York because that's where he grew up and his dad took him to the games. You know, could he get five saves during the year if anything happens with Chapman? Absolutely. You know, the Yankees showed that, you know, they shared it last year when, uh, when Chapman went down, it wasn't Patances by himself. You know, so again, you're getting strikeouts. It's just a matter of innings with Adovino. And I think Britain in the second half could give you the ratio stuff, but the way that he, he's, he's probably, what, fifth on the totem pole right now? So I don't really think he has any part. value. So his value kind of dissipated once he re-signed with the Yankees. He, he took the money, which is God bless him, but when he did that, you knew he wasn't going to be the closer. Yeah, I guess that's why he changed his last name, so he'd still be relevant. Um, or his first, <laughs> now, the, the, K, the H to a K. But, um, yes, yes. Another deep, deep bullpen, and we saw it used a ton last year, especially in the postseason, the Milwaukee Brewers. You mentioned Knable, Jeffers, Hayter, Corbin Burns, all the legit, talented players. I know we're kind of looking for the next Hayter, but how do we assess this Milwaukee bullpen? If Burns doesn't make the rotation, then he's the right-handed complement to Hayter that can give you – two winnings in a game when Hayter needs a day off. Um, so then all of a sudden now you've got another guy who's cheaper than Batances and Hayter that can give you the same kind of thunder. So that's something you really have to track because you don't know if the Brewers are going to put Burns in the rotation or Woodruff. It's almost kind of a whichever one doesn't ends up in the other role. So they've kind of got that slotted in there. Um, either I, I think Burns would be better than Woodruff as the reliever, but I also think he's better as a starter, so it's going to kind of depend on what Milwaukee does. You know, I'm still a Knable truther. I really think he's a rebound guy this year, so I'm sticking with him. All right, those are kind of the two main ones that stood out to me. What other relieving situations, like who? what other hater Archie Bradley type can we draft late this year and try to profit off of? <laughs> well, it's funny you say Bradley because you know what? I'm – I'm going to give you a little thing here. Um, once Greg Holland went to Washington, That's 21.1 innings, 80 total batters faced, 0.84 ERA, 25 to 10. Now, again, strikeout to walk. The walks were a little high, but he had a 130 batting average against, 188 slugging against, 213 Woba, 31.3 strikeout percentage. Now, again, the walks were a little too high, 12.5, but again, he was still running in the form, 0.89 whip. Now, he did have a high strand rate, so you got to plan on a higher ERA. Do I think that Holland could usurp Bradley from that role? I actually do, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with Arizona because they haven't handed him that role. I definitely think that's a spring training competition between Greg Holland and Archie Bradley. Um when you're looking for some of the other guys, it was funny. So, you know, I gave you the hater thing, so I'm not going to requote those things. But swing strike percentage over 15, strikeouts minus walk percentage over 25, XFIP less than three. Jose LeClerc, Kirby Yates, Trevor May, Ryan Presley, who's somebody we touched on, Jose Alvarado, Edwin Diaz, Blake Trinan, Josh Hader, Jace Fry, and Kenley Jansen. Those are the only three people in the, those are the only people in the second half last year that did what Hader did in the, uh, you know, better than what Hader did in the second half of 2017. So th- those give you a little clue on some of the upside guys that can turn the corner and do those things. Matt Barnes missed on XFIP by 0.14. Um, Corey Knable missed on the swing strike percentage by 0.3. A um, couple of interesting. Ch- Taylor Rogers missed on the swing strike percentage, but he had the strikeouts minus walk and the XFIP. Scott Oberg, who would back up Wade Davis, is another interesting name. He really broke out in the second half. 
Um, so, and, and in San Diego, if they traded Yates, then you're looking at maybe Castillo gained some interest or Stammen. We don't know which way they would kind of go with that. There's so many moving pieces now in baseball. It's just going to be a bananas year. And I do like Trevor Rosenthal and Amir's Garrett, Amir, excuse me, Amir Garrett's first half was very similar to Josh Hader's second half. Now he tired at the end of last year, but again, if he's going to get a handful of saves, he has a lot more interest in leagues, especially 15-team and deeper. All right. The last question I have for you here, when you're in a saves-hold league, how do you approach the holds aspect of it? Um, or do you like do you punt saves and just say, screw it on holds? Or what are you targeting, basically? If I'm in a save-hold league, I'm, I'm concentrating on the, the skills. So I want guys that are – they, they generate strikeouts. I want guys that have the strong strikeout minus walk percentage. So a, a format that like that really makes Ryan Presley so much more valuable because he's going to rack up holds setting up for, in Houston, and, and his stuff was elite in the second half last year. Um, and, again, now all of a sudden instead of having to pick between Trevor May or Taylor Rogers, you can pick either one of them because it doesn't matter if they're getting saves or hold. They have more value. So, you know, I, I think – some leagues are going to keep going that way, but I, I want skills. So I'm not necessarily chasing a loogie because they don't give me enough innings. Um, and, then, you know, they're talking about changing that rule. It's all about the skills when, when you're talking about solds. I love it. I love it. Well, Greg, always awesome information, especially when uh, just talking to you in general, but when breaking down the reliever situation in baseball, it is great, great stuff. So why don't you let everybody know where they can find your work and what you got coming up? Well, let's see, I'm, I'm going to keep rolling out player profiles. And now that we did the relief lever, excuse me, the reliever lean here, I'm going to pump out a couple of more guys. I just turned in LeClerc the other day, but I'm going to do a Yates one, maybe a couple of others. Let's get those up on the site. So, again, the, the player profiles are covered if you buy the fantasy alarm, um, the, the baseball guide. So you don't have to be like a full-time member. You can just get the guide and you get access to all those articles. And the strategy pieces, you know, Colton and uh, – Rick Colton and the Wolfman had their smart system in there, which won labor last year. So there's just different strategy pieces you can get a part of. Um, I'm on Twitter at G J E W E T T nine. I have the closer charts ready. I'm just trying to decide if I'm doing them for free or if I want people to give me a cup of coffee to keep those things going. But, um, and, and yes, I will be doing uh rotographs last year. It was two days a week. Al Melkier and I both did two. Um, hopefully I'll keep doing that and we'll keep rocking it out. So Bubba, it's always great talking to you. I know you do an awesome job with this podcast and you keep getting industry heavies on here. So I'm honored you had me on. No problem, man. I appreciate you joining me. It's, it's always a blast to catch up with you and uh, get your knowledge out there to the people because the reliever situation is not one that uh, I think covered enough around the industry. It's kind of, it's almost laughed at at times and it shouldn't be. So uh I appreciate you joining me, everybody. Go check out Greg's work everywhere, Fantasy Alarm, Fangrass, Twitter, at GJU at 9. This was Bench with Bubba, episode 145. Catch you all later.